Father in heaven, we thank you for today, August 18th. We thank you for the reading of your word, Lord God. Bless us as it's called today. Lord, you promise to always be with us and never to leave us nor forsake us. We ask you to cleanse us with the blood of Jesus Christ and cleanse and open our ears and our hearts and our minds and our eyes to see the wonders in your word, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Anna, would you please start the reading? Sure. Esther 1.1 to 3.15. These events happened in the days of King Xerxes, who reigned over 127 provinces stretching from India to Ethiopia. At that time, Xerxes ruled his empire from his royal throne at the fortress of Susa. In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. He invited all the military officers of Persia and Media as well as the princes and nobles of the provinces. The celebration lasted 180 days. A tremendous display of the opulent wealth of his empire was, and the pomp and the splendor of his majesty. When it was all over, the king gave a banquet for all the people from the greatest to the least, who were in the fortress of Susa. It lasted for seven days and was held in the courtyard of the palace garden. The courtyard, beautifully decorated with white cotton curtains and blue hangings, which were fastened with white linen cords and purple ribbons to silver rings embedded in the marble pillars. Gold and silver couches stood on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. Designs, um, drinks were so served in gold goblets of many designs and there was an abundance of royal wine reflecting the king's generosity. By edict of the king, no limits were placed on the drinking, for the king had instructed all his palaces officials to serve each man as much as they wanted. At the same time, Queen Vashti gave a banquet for women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. On the seventh day of the feast, when King Xerxes was in high spirits because of the wine, he told the seven eunuchs who attended him, Mehuman, Bizda, Harbona, Bigtha, Abgatha, Zetar, and Carcass, to bring Queen Vashti to him with the royal crown on her head. He wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze at her beauty, for she was a very beautiful woman. But when they conveyed the king, king's order to Queen Vashti, she refused to come. This made the king furious, and he burned with anger. He immediately consulted with his wise advisors, who knew all the Persian laws and customs, for he always asked their advice. The names of these men were Karshina, Shetar, Admatha, Tarshish, Maris, Marsena, and Memukan. Seven nobles of Persia and Media, they met with the king regularly and held the highest positions in the empire. What must be done to Queen Vashti, the king demanded? What penalty does the law provide for a queen who refuses to obey the king's orders? Properly sent through his eunuchs. Memukan answered the king and his nobles, King Vashti has wronged not only the king, but also every noble and citizen throughout your empire. 
Women everywhere will begin to despise their husbands when they learn that Queen Vashti has refused to appear before the king. Before this day is out, the wives of all the king nobles throughout Persia and Media will hear what the queen did and will start treating their husbands the same way. There will be no end to their contempt and anger. So if it please the king, we suggest that you issue a written decree, a law of the Persians and Medes, that cannot be revoked. It should order that the Queen Vashti be forever banished from the presence of King Xerxes, and that the king should choose another queen more worthy than she. When the de this decree is published throughout the king's vast empire, husbands everywhere, whatever they rank, will receive proper respect from their wives. The king and his nobles thought this made good sense, so he followed Mamukan's counsel. He sent letters to all parts of the empire to each province in its own script and language, proclaiming that every man should be the ruler of his <coughs> own home and should say Excuse whatever me. he pleases. But after Zerbi's anger had subsided, he began thinking about Vashti and what she had done and the decree he had made. So his personas, so his personal attendants suggested, let us search the empire to find beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint agents in each province to bring these beautiful women into the royal harem, harem at the fortress of Susa. Haggai, the king's eunuch in charge of the harem, will see that they are all given beauty treatments. After that, the young woman who, pleases, who most pleases the kings will be made queen instead of Ashti. This advice was very appealing to the king, so he put the plan into effect. At that time, there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa who was named Mordecai, son of Jer. He was from the tribe of Benjamin and was a descendant of Kish and Shemel, Shemai. His family had been among those with the king of Jehoiachin of Judah and had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, <laughs> who was also called Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. As a result, the king's degree, Esther, along with many other young women, was brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. Haggai was, a very, was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. He quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided her with beauty treatments. He also assigned her seven maids, specifically chosen from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. Esther had not told anyone of her nationality and family background, because Mordecai had directed her not to do so. Every day, Mordecai would take a walk near the courtyard of the harem to find out about Esther and what was happening to her. Before each young woman was taken to the king's bed, she was given the prescribed 12 months of beauty treatment. Six months with oil and myrrh, followed by six months with special perfumes and ointments. When it was time for her to go to the king's palace, she was given her choice of whatever clothing or jewelry she wanted to take from the harem. That evening she was taken to the king's private rooms and the next morning she was brought to the second harem where the king's wives lived. There she would be under the care of Shazgaz, 
the king's eunuch in charge of the concubines. She would never go to the king again unless he especially enjoyed her and requested her by name. Esther was the daughter of Abihel, who was Mordecai's uncle. Mordecai has, had adopted his younger cousin Esther. When it was Esther's turn to go to the king, she accepted the advice of Haggai, the eunuch in charge of the harem. She asked for nothing except for what he suggested, and she was admired by everyone who saw her. Esther was taken to King Xerbes at the royal palace in the early winter of the seventh year of his reign, and the king loved Esther more than any other of the women. He was so delighted with her that he set royal crown, a royal, the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Ashti. To celebrate the occasion, he gave a great banquet in Esther's honor for all his nobles and officials, declaring a public holiday for the provinces and giving generous gifts to everyone. Even after all the women had been transferred to the second harem and Mordecai had become a palace official, Esther continued to keep her family background and nationality a secret. She was still following Mordecai's directions, just as she did when she was lived in his home. One day, as Mordecai was on duty at the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Big Dana and Teresh, who were guards at the door of the king's private quarters, became angry at King Zervis and plotted to assassinate him. But Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. She then told the king about it and gave Mordecai credit for the report. When an investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, the two men were impaled on a sharpened pole. This was all recorded in the book of the history of King Zervis' reign. Sometime later, King Zervis prompted Harman, or Haman's son of Hamad. Hamadatha, the Agite, over all the other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. All the king's officials declare me not guilty. O Lord my God, for you give justice. Don't let my enemies laugh about me in... Oh, no. Did I finish? No, you jumped. Sometime later, King Xerxes oh. promoted Haman... Son of Hamidatha. Okay, wait, wait. All the, sometime later. Hey, what did I do? One day. Right here, and then you jump. Okay. Sometime later, King Xerbes promoted Haman, son of Hamidatha the Agite, over all the other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. All the king's officials would bow down before him. Haman to show him before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by. For so the king had commanded, but Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. Then the palace officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why are you disobeying the king's command? They spoke to him day after day, but he still refused to comply with the order. So, he, so they spoke to Haman about this to see if he would tolerate Mordecai's conduct, since Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw, okay. saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for ways to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. 
So in the month of April, during the 12th year of King Zurich's reign, lots were cast in Hammond's presence. The lots were called Purim to determine the best day and month to take action. And the day selected was March 7, nearly a year later. Then Hammond approached King Xerix and said, There is a certain race of people scattered throughout all the provinces of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people, and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. So it is not in the king's interest to let them live. If it pleases the king, issue a decree that they may be destroyed, and I will give 10,000 large sacks of silver to the government administration to be deposited in the royal treasury. The king agreed, confirming his decision by removing his signet ring from his finger and giving it to Haman, son of Hamadmedata, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. The king said, The money and all the people are both yours. Do with it as you see fit. So on April 17, the king's secretaries were summoned and a decree was written exactly as Haman dictated. It was sent to the king's highest officers, the governors of the respective providence, and the nobles of each providence in their own script and language. The decree was written in the name of King Xerix and sealed with the king's signet ring. Dispatches were sent by swift messengers into all the providence of the empire, giving the order that all the Jews, young and old, including women and children, must be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated. 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 On a single day. This was scheduled to happen on March 7th of the next year. The property of the Jews will be given to those who killed them. A copy of this decree was to be issued as law in every province and proclaimed to all people so that they would be ready to do their duty on the appointed day. At the, at the king's command, the decree went out by swift messengers and it was also proclaimed in the fortress of Susa. Then the king of Hammon sat down to drink, but the city of Susa fell into confusion. Wow. I mean, this is almost a, sounds like a fairy tale that, uh, you know, it just says how barbaric those times were over there. You know, mm -hmm. that uh, either the king was drunk when he made, when he allowed Hammond to do that. Mm -hmm. And then Hammond having so much money, I can see why they promoted him to be second in command. You know, it's like promoting someone, you know, with a lot of uh, resources putting 10,000 sacks of large sacks of silver into the royal treasury. And then the king turns around and says, go ahead and do with the people and use the money as you like. Um, either he had to be an alcoholic, you know, too. Let's say today's study of Esther says the Jewish population had increased since their exiles over 100 years earlier. They had been given free freedom and great, and were allowed to run their own businesses and hold positions in government. Esther 2.19, Daniel 6.3. Haman's death decree was against all Jews in the Persian Empire. Thus, it would have included the land of Israel. Haman was orchestrating genocide. Haman's anger was not directed just toward Mordecai, but toward what Mordecai stood for, the Jews' dedication to God as the only authority worthy of reverence. The lives of God's people were at stake, but more importantly, God's promise were at stake. 
God's promises. He had promised to bless the world through Abraham's descendants, the Jews. If Hamas succeeded, God's promises would have failed. God's plans to send his son to earth as a Jew would have been ruined. But God placed Esther on the throne even before the Jews faced the possibility of complete destruction, so that when trouble came, a person would already be in the position to help. God is actively involved in and committed to fulfilling his promise by his spirit, so we can look for his hand at work and make ourselves available to be used for his purpose. Amen. It's really interesting to see how uh, Mordecai refused to bow down when Haman passed by, as everyone else did in uh, most asked most asked questions. Haman, despised a man with strong convictions and stubborn integrity, the, this personal vendetta became a murderous desire to destroy all Jewish people. His charge against the Jewish people was that he hated was hated in Mordecai. They did not assimilate with other people. They had unique laws and customs, and they did not obey some of the laws of the king. God disapproves of such hatred against any people. God has saved the Jewish people and defeated their enemies, for God is faithful to all his promises. It's interesting to see how uh, the king was able to... Uh, to take those young virgins into his bedroom and then go through all 12 of them or how many and then call the ones back. But apparently he had chosen them then take putting them in his um, palace or enooks for, um, for concubines to be taken care of. And then he fell in love with uh, Esther as God had ordered it. Amen. All right, let's go here for the New Testament. Today's reading of the New Testament is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. And the Lord's Supper, but in the following instructions, I, Paul, cannot praise you, Corinthians, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to some extent I believe it. But of course there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What, don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, This is my body which is given to you. For this do remember me. In the same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, in agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. 
For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord's unworthy is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup without honoring the body of Christ. You are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and have some have died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet, when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So, my dear brothers and sisters, when each gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. If you're really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourself. When you meet together, I'll give you instructions about other matters after I, I arrive. The Lord's Supper is a visible representation symbolizing the death of Christ for our sins. Our participation in it unites us with Christ and with other believers. In the early church, the Lord's Supper was celebrated after a fellowship meal. In the church in Corinth, the fellowship meal had become a time when some ate and drank excessively while others went hungry. They, they may have been divided by social class and eaten in different rooms. This certainly did not demonstrate the unity and love that should characterize the church, nor could it prepare them for the unity that communion represented. Paul condemned these actions and reminded the church of the real purpose of the Lord's Supper. <coughs> Paul gives specific instructions on how the Lord's Supper should be observed. We should honor the meaning of the Lord's Supper. We should take it with due reverence and respect. We should examine our hearts and our actions for any sin or attitude that divides us from God and fellow believers. We should wait for others until everyone is ready to eat together. This preparation removes the barriers that divide us from Christ and other believers. Praying this on behalf of the church around the world, facing enemies who seek to harm it. <coughs> How long, O Lord, Psalm 35, verse 17 to 28. How long, O Lord, will you look on and do nothing? Rescue me from their fierce attacks. Protect me from, protect my life from these lions. Then I will thank you in front of the great assembly. I will praise you before all the people. Don't let my treasures enemies rejoice over my defeat. Don't let those who hate me without cause gloat over my sorrow. They don't talk of peace. They plot against innocent people who mind their own business. They shout, aha, aha, with our own eyes we saw him do it. O oh Lord, you know all about this. Do not stay silent. Do not abandon me now, O Lord. Wake up, rise to my defense. Take my case. Take up my case, my God and my Lord. Declare me not guilty, O Lord, my God. For you give ju justice. Don't let my enemies laugh about me in my troubles. Don't let them say, look, we got what we wanted. Now we will eat him alive. May those who rejoice at my troubles be humiliated in disgrace. May those who triumph over me be covered with shame and dishonor. But give great joy to those who come to my defense. Let them continually say, Great is the Lord who delights in blessing his servant with peace. <coughs> 
Then I will proclaim your justice, and I will praise you all the day long. Amen. <clears throat> Proverbs 21, 19-20 It is better to live in the desert than with a quarrelsome, complaining wife. The wise has wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Amen. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's only a quarter to twelve. Quarter to twelve thirty.